Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. Let's go in our Bibles together. We're in Philippians, and today we come to chapter 4. So we are heading down the back stretch of this letter that Paul wrote to the church. It's really a treasured church. He loved this church. He loved the church at Philippi so much. And it comes through in his letter. In our study today, the Apostle Paul is going to walk us through conflict resolution. Conflict is a part of our lives. It's internally a reality and it's externally a reality. Conflict. I am not the uh, guru on conflict resolution. I am not the master of conflict resolution, but Paul is an apostle and he will walk us through this and we all can learn together from this apostle how we can grow in grace and how we can be used by the Lord to be peacemakers, not peace fakers and not peace breakers. There's a big difference between being those types of individuals and being peacemakers. We live in a world that's filled with conflict, just to name a couple of them, the things that you really don't want to bring up at family gatherings. Who'd you vote for last election? You know, you an elephant or a, you, you know, donkey, what are you? The conflict that is going on right now, just one of them, Ukraine and Russia, all of the confusion and the carnage and just the destruction that is happening there, the lives that are being lost and what do you believe and what's right and what's wrong and who's doing what, like, it's, it's quite overwhelming, I find it that way anyway. We could go on and on of the conflict that are in our relationships between parents and children, grandparents and grandchildren, husbands, wives, co-workers. There's just conflict everywhere we go. If you work on the day shift, of course it's the night shifts. They're just the night shift, you know, and if you're on the night shift, well, it's day shift. They don't, you've been there, right? At any job, anywhere, if you're in the regular workforce, then it's the management. If you're in the management, it's these people, you know, and on and on and on it goes. And here we find ourselves in a place where Paul is writing, to a church. We've heard about the generational conflict like the Hatfields and the McCoys. People are fighting and they don't even know why they're fighting except, what's your last name again? Oh, oh, my people don't like your people. And it's even being fomented and stirred up in the day we live to where what is the color of your skin and that means we must be at odds but what happens in the church and what happens even in India that was given by its heritage, a caste system where there are certain people here and there's certain people down here and they're the untouchables, the Dalits, and you don't help them because if you help them, then you send them through what they believe another round of reincarnation. So it justifies don't do anything to help anybody. That is not Christianity. Christianity is radically different. 
So what then happens when we enter into conflict, loved ones? What happens when we experience conflict as followers of Jesus Christ? The fallout from unresolved or unrighteous conflict is often drastic, and I can attest to this personally. If you have been in the church long enough, then you can also attest to sometimes things don't go well in church life because people still have problems and we don't always address the problems in a way that pleases the Lord. And when we do not, it causes severe damage. It leaves in its wake wreckage, broken hearts, severed friendships, relationships. It's a reality that there are people bearing scars and even PTSD from church business meetings or whatever it may be in the course of a church to think, I thought that they were my friend. I thought they loved me. I thought we were in this together and I didn't see that coming. Well, Take heart, loved ones. 2,000 years ago, it was happening in Philippi, and the apostle planted this church. So they couldn't say, you know, our founding, our leader that founded us, man, we could have used someone better. Maybe if we had a guy from Richmond, we wouldn't have any problems. Okay, they didn't know about Richmond, and I wasn't born yet. I'm not that old. They had Paul. So he gets this. There was a, uh, I read, someone referred to me a book a long time ago, and I just want to give you a definition from Alfred Poirier, and he wrote a book on the peacemaking pastor, and this is what he said about conflict. He said, for the sake of simplicity, we will define conflict as, and here's his definition, a difference in opinion or purpose that frustrates someone's goals or desires. That is, Conflict results when my desires, expectations, fears, or wants collide with your desires, expectations, fears, or wants. They meet up and we have a problem because you don't want what I want. And I'm wanting what you don't want and now we have conflict. And you can take that into your workplace, into a church, into a family, into any, I wanted this, well, I wanted that. And then someone says in marriage, we're so different yeah, isn't that interesting how the Lord orchestrates that? And life is not boring because we're not exactly the same. Paul writes, Philippians chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. This is the word of the Lord. When Paul opens this section, 
He says, therefore. So now Paul is, all of this time, chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, the original letter wasn't divided up into chapters, but he spent all of this time, the church is gathered, and now we have to, we have to think about this. In the church, there was, these two ladies were sitting there, Yodia, Yodia and Syntyche, and they've been hearing chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, and no doubt, they were looking, could someone maybe turn on the air conditioner a little bit? It's getting a little, it's getting a little stuffy in here. It's getting a little awkward in here. And I wonder if he knows about what we have going on. And then he says, ding, 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 ding. And he names these ladies. All of this work, because there's a joy-stealing problem there in Philippi, and it isn't coming from the people outside of the church. There's these two ladies, they're at odds with one another, and at any moment, it's going to be all-out war in the church unless something drastically changes. So here's the proposition we want to unpack together today. What is Christ the Christian approach for resolving conflict? And I would argue that it's actually the best approach. It's a biblical approach to solving conflict, and it's a Christian approach. And so then, if you take this, and we're going to look at this, what happens when Christians don't do this? What happens when people who name the name of Christ function like non-believers? It's ugly. It's worse than sour milk, days upon days old. It's just awful because it comes packaged in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who came that we might have peace with God and with one another. So it's hypocrisy to the hilt. So how do we do this? Number one, what is a Christian's approach to resolving conflict? Number one, let's learn from Paul to affirm our love toward one another clearly. To affirm our love toward one another clearly. How well do you express your love and gratitude for those nearest to you? Those in your family, they have your last name. How about in your church? How well are you expressing your love and gratitude for those who are closest to you? Do we, do we love others unconditionally the way God loves us? Now, none of us can say perfectly, but isn't that what... Isn't that our desire? Isn't that what we long for? And remember, God's love, and I've said this many times, is not a permissive love. It's not a pampering love. His love is a perfecting love. So his love gets misrepresented in the world we live in today by saying, doesn't just God, God just loves everybody, so that means, wrongly, that you can just do whatever you want to do and God loves you. No, no, no. God's love is not a pampering love. It's not permissive. It's perfecting. He's doing something in us. His love does not cancel out His holiness and His righteousness. They're in concert with one another. How can we mature in loving others? The apostle provided for us the way to show love the love of God in difficult and even in explosive situations. And I pray that we take this to heart. How do we affirm our love toward one another clearly? First of all, we need to show love by the way that we talk, the words that we use, what we say, 
Paul speaks highly of them. He uses tender terms of endearment. He didn't say what sometimes, you know, we say, guys, I'm sure they know I love them. I'm, I'm, come on. I mean, they remember I was beaten. I was in prison there. They know I love them already. Some of these cards, you know, Mother's Day or whatever rolls around, Valentine's Day for, you know, the wife, and you look at the section of cards. Uh, honey, I never say I love you all year round, but today's the day. You know, card after card after card. It's like, it might as well just say, I'm a loser, complete loser. I never say anything. I'm just the worst. Uh, I'm supposed to get you a card because it's Valentine's Day. Here you go. And I often read those thinking, I wonder what, woman is there somewhere that reads that card and the husband has treated her badly for 364 days and now this card is like oh he does love me he does love me everybody his card he picked this card out for me wouldn't our wives rather have a husband just be kind and say well i've been kind to you all year round i forgot the card but here's dinner or whatever, right? Isn't that the, the, the method to the heart? This is what Paul says. He says, my brothers, no less than six times in this letter, he's saying this, my brothers, and this, this, we're in the family of God together, brothers and sisters, loved ones, we're in the family together. He says at the end of this section, before he names names, my beloved, my, my dear favorites, you're the best. You're, you're the best of the best. I love you. You're my favorite. He says that two times in this letter. We show love by the way that we talk. Do we then show love by the way that we talk? Fathers, are we showing love by the way we talk to our kids? By the way that we speak to our families? And again, that love is not misrepresented. It's not a pampering love. Fathers, it's not loving to just let your kids do whatever they want to do. That's not love. The Bible says what father doesn't discipline his children, implying what are you doing if you're not disciplining, you're not showing love to your children. Love them enough to discipline them, train them, raise them up. It's not just speaking of punishment. It includes it, but it's not just that. Show love by the way that we talk. Show love from the way we feel. Paul isn't embarrassed here about his emotions he doesn't care what any, you know, the tough guys in Philippi think about this apostle. You know, the, to the Corinthians, Paul was weak. He's weak. Oh, he's strong in his letters, but the, have you seen the guy? The guy's weak. I mean, he's nothing. He's got weak eyes. He just looks like he's been beat up a few times. But we are, you know, Paul calls them the super apostles. They're strong, and I'm weak. It, why? For the sake of the gospel. Show love from the way that we feel. And Paul, he uses these terms. He says, whom I, I love. It's the highest form of love. It's enduring love. Like, I love you. No matter what the conflict is, I love you. And my love for you doesn't go up and down with your behavior, your obedience, your disobedience. My love for you abides, but I'm really having trouble enjoying you right now. There's a real problem in our fellowship. And it needs to get worked out. He says, I love whom I love, whom I, I long for you. Doesn't this almost sound like, I was teasing Stephen this week, like him and Amanda, you know, and they're preparing for their wedding. And I love you and I love you. Can't wait to see you. And he drives over there and they're together. Can't wait to be with you. Oh, all this love. This is what Paul is sounding like with the church. 
I love you. I long for you. I can't wait to see you. I can't wait to wrap my arms around you and be with you. This is love, and he's, he doesn't care what anybody thinks. He actually loves them. But then he, show love, he shows love out of what he believes. Paul goes even another level here. He knew the joy of seeing this church born out of great trial. His back was bloodied for that church to be born there as he planted the seeds of the gospel. He held a view that resembles how a parent often thinks of their children because these are his children in the Lord. He says, you're my joy. The word there is kara, gladness. When I think of you, I rejoice. Like, you're not rejoicing now. I know why. But I rejoice over you. You're my joy. It's not just what you do. It's not performance. This is grace. You're my joy and you're my crown. The word is Stephanus. We get the, the name Stephen. It's the idea of either a headdress that would be worn out of gladness or even the wreath that was presented to someone triumphant in a race and they would be given the wreath to wear on their head. He's like, that's you. When I think of you, you are my joy. You are my crown. I love you. I long to be with you. It's a victor's crown or a diadem he said this about the church in thessalonica first thessalonians 2 19 for what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our lord jesus at his coming is it not you it's you that our lord is returning and i can't wait for him to return because he's coming not just for me He's coming for you. And the gospel came through me to you. So you're like my kids. You're my children in the Lord, and I love you. And they wouldn't have had any doubt. And maybe right there in the church, they're like, oh, Paul loves us. Isn't that great? He affirmed his love for them clearly. Do you see that in there? You see that? I'm not making anything up. Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy, my crown. You're like, yeah, I kind of see where Pastor got the message from. That's right there. He's like, man, this guy's a genius up here. My beloved. Okay, well, then what does he want from these people? All of this of who Christ is and Epaphroditus and, and the mind of Christ, and it's all coming, and I love you, therefore, we're going to make application. And now he says this, I want you to stand firm thus in the Lord. I want you to stand firm, adhere to one another steadfastly. That's his goal. I want you to be glued together. I want you to adhere to one another. That's the next point. Adhere to one another steadfastly. You ever glued your fingers together, messing around with super glue, trying to fix something? And whatever you were trying to fix, it didn't get fixed. It fell down, and it was still not together. And then you went, uh-oh, I got a problem here. Wrong thing, glued together, adhered. Not good. That's what he wants for these people. How can our relationships, I'm talking about our marriages, our families, our church, how can we become characterized by this kind of joyful endurance, which is not just grin and bear it? Well, yeah, we're married, so let's just, you know, here we go. Well, I'm a member, so I guess I'll just stick it out. No, no, that's not what he has in mind here. 
His expectation was very clear. He just put it right out there on the bottom shelf. I want you to stand firm. Uh, the Greek word there is steko, which it means steadfast. It means that we stand and we keep standing for all that is right. Stand firm. Don't just stand, but standing firm in the Lord. Stand firm in your faith and in the grace of God. I'm praying that God will use this message, that will, he will use me as his servant to encourage us all to do what Paul is saying, that we would say, Lord, help me to stand firm. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Christianity is not for wimps. It's to stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Grow up. 2 Corinthians 1.24, not that, Paul says, we lord it over your faith, but we work for you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. Stand firm. Peter, the apostle, 1 Peter 5.12, and he says, by Sylvanus, grab a drink here, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. I'm handing it to you. I've delivered it. Stand firm in it. Stand firm against every external attack, loved ones. Persecution that might come in from the outside, from false teachers, from a world that hates the truth, hates the gospel, hates Jesus revealed in Scripture, tries to reinvent him all the time. But stand firm against those external attacks. Paul writes to the Galatians, chapter 5, verse 1, for freedom. Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Don't go back into the old system of religion. It couldn't save you. Stand firm. Ephesians 6, verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. And then he says, stand therefore. Stand firm. Put on the armor of God. And then he goes into the whole armor of God. 2 Thessalonians 2.15, Paul writes, So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. So stand firm. And then he says there's another danger we need to be mindful of. We see this in Scripture. Stand firm against every internal threat that would arise from inside of us or from among us within the church. Paul writes to the Philippians, we study this, chapter 127, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are, and they weren't doing this, that you are standing firm in one spirit. That's where in chapter one, it would have started getting a little warm in the church. The whole church gathered, we got a letter from Paul, great. Uh, I want to hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving not face to face, but side by side for what? The color of the carpet? The faith of the gospel. Yodia and Sintiki, I'm coming to you. That's what I want to hear. Stand firm. And then he says, 
there's a qualifier we need, stand firm thus in the Lord. Okay, there's some of us, we're really good at, oh, I just let, I just tell people how I feel. Oh, I stand firm. I got that one down, pastor. Tattoo right here, stand firm. I'm standing firm. And I get that opinion, and I won't back down come anything or high water. I'm going to stand there and take it all. Okay, well, then we have, before we get too quickly on the amen, he says, stand firm in the Lord. Here's a qualifier. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Not just do whatever they say. Do it in a way as Christians should. That's another way you can say in the Lord. Stand firm thus as Christians should. Oh, now then, okay, so we're not just talking about where we're going to have lunch today. It's in the Lord or as pleasing to the Lord. Paul provided this qualifier here because this ought to govern over what we stand for and what we stand against. And it comes back to what does the Bible say? I don't care in one sense, what our culture says, or, but this person I know, and they've experienced this, and they feel this way, and they believe this way, but what does the Bible say? Stand firm there. That's the only ground that isn't sinking sand. So Paul provides this qualifier, stand firm as Christians should. So we ought not be the meanest people there are and just angrily standing for the Lord. I'm just standing for the Lord, and I'm just, we're just a jerk. And that's not good. As Christians should, stand firm. So together, we commit to stand firm in the Lord in a way that pleases Christ. And again, let's apply this to our homes. What do you draw lines over in your marriages? What are we, what are we standing firm for as parents? Or one parent's like, no, that'll never happen. And the other parent's like, really? Let's talk about that a little bit. Is that a good decision or is that just your upbringing? Have you thought through that? Because you didn't marry your parents, you married me. And we need to work out some things with our children. And I didn't marry your mom and dad. I married you and these kids aren't theirs, they're ours and we gotta figure some things out. That's what it means to stand firm in the Lord. In the church, we belong together, we're all different. We have different things that we love and enjoy and all those things. How do we stand firm in the Lord as Christians should? So Paul, he affirms his love for them very clearly. I love you, I long for my brothers, my beloved. And he held to them steadfastly, even though he knew there's some problems there. And he has an expectation of them, stand firm in the Lord. And then he moves to number three, address the problem between one another directly. Like, let's get to the point and let's address the issue directly as Christians should. Division in the church utterly destroys joy. If there's relationships that are quarreling, you really want to go have dinner with them. It, it, everything is difficult. Everything is hard. So it is in the church. We're a family. If we don't practice this, if we don't work these things out, we don't get along, we don't give grace, receive grace, forgive, and forgiveness going back and forth, if love is only connected to performance, if you do, you know, pastor, if you do all these things that I think you should do in your family and all these things, then we can stay a member here. 
I'm sorry, I'm not God. I can't be there, never let you down. I, I can't do that. But I can be me. And I can allow the Lord to use me. And if you love me and I love you, and it's not connected to how we perform for one another, we can go through life together and we can go through the good times and bad times and we can enjoy every season. This is liberating for me. I'll tell you, when I, when I first was called to serve here as a pastor, my own expectations, like, oh, I gotta have all the answers. Just this week, I was listening to someone ask me a question years ago, and I'm like, I don't know the answer to that. Uh, you know, and in my own mind, while they're asking me, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm, I, maybe I shouldn't even be a pastor. Like, I shouldn't know the answer to this. And I was just listening to something this week, and like, if I would have listened to that, I would have known the answer when that person asked the question 15 years ago. Well, I know it now. I'm learning it now. Get to the problem directly. This is a carrying out of what Jesus taught about church discipline in Matthew 18, one-on-one, -on -one, win the brother. That's the point, not to win the argument. Win the brother. Do what's right. If it doesn't work out, that person is not coming underlying in Scripture. They're not submitting to Scripture. They're not becoming obedient. Then take with you two, three with you who love the Lord, love the brother or sister, if it doesn't work out, then Jesus says, take it to the church. If they say, I don't care. We have, we have people that still, they will not come back in fellowship to the church. Then Jesus says, send the whole church after them. Have you been thinking about the people that are missing from the congregation? Do you ever say, hey, I've been missing you. Are you in fellowship under the word anywhere? Because our love isn't connected to only if they're a member, then we love them. There are a lot of people that I still think of and pray for and still love dearly like Paul loved this church. Even though someone else might be shepherding them right now. So Paul's plea here for unity was personal. There's a, there's a problem in this church and he's addressing it. He's done it so carefully. He's done it so lovingly. And here's the overwhelming, intimidating, just mind-boggling thing for me is I can have the best motive I can be prayerful. I can have scriptures prepared. I can have invested into someone for years in relationship. And you know what? I cannot guarantee that they're going to listen to what I say and be in fellowship with me a week later. They may look at the scriptures and then they may take away, you know, why is his face? You know, why is his face? He was just, he was so angry. I'll tell you again, my wife, she sees me eating cereal. Uh, Stephen was talking a few weeks ago about eating broccoli. That's how I eat cereal. I eat cereal to win. I mean, it's just my face. I'm intense. If I'm mowing the grass, I have the funniest GPS voice on my, on my when we went down to Ohio, uh, I put it on the guys who were listening to it to Ohio. And it's like, left, turn right, you know, go one mile, turn right. I'm like, this is how I think in everything. Like, prepare the sermon now. Time to pray, time to get to the, whatever we're doing. But when people love me, they're like, that's him, and he can work on that, but I love him, and it isn't connected to, did he do everything this way, that, what, what is our relationship? What's the goal? What's the aim? What's the point? Paul's plea for these ladies, it was personal. He called them out by name. So if there was tension in the room until chapter 4, verse 2, for sure there's, ten, there's, there's pressure now. Yeah. 
I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Don't you want to see that video? <laughs> maybe, maybe not. And everybody's like, <laughs> whoa. And what are those two ladies doing? I don't know what they're doing. Are they looking at each other? And here's where Paul cannot make these individuals work this out. He knows this. But they have to work it out. And if they don't work it out, their children, their families, the unbelieving people around them are going to see the gospel flop. It doesn't work for that problem. Do you realize Paul didn't even name the problem? And he didn't pick sides. He addresses the problem. His request is straightforward. He doesn't tell them what they should do. He doesn't talk about it. He doesn't put any oxygen in the room for the fire. His aim is do what you do on a candle and cap it. And the flame goes out. The argument is to die. Whatever the argument is, his point for not naming it, it doesn't even matter, ultimately. Think about that when it comes to the squabbles between husbands and wives, parents and children. What does it really matter? Does it really matter? Then figure it out and work it out how to, how to work through it. But does it really matter? Or does it really just matter to you or to me? He says, I entreat. Notice he doesn't say, I command you. You know, I, the apostle Paul, will bring fire. To no, he doesn't say that. He says, I, here's some other words you can use for entreat from the Greek. Beg. I beseech you. I implore. Do you see what he just did in the letter? The great apostle Paul is saying, ladies, please. I am begging you. I implore you. I'm entreating you. I love you. You got to work this out. Yodia's name, I told you when we were in chapter one, her name means fragrant. Syntyche's name meant fortunate. And Paul names them, and it's interesting that they're not even living up to the names they were given as children. It's an unfortunate stink that's coming out of Philippi. It's not a fortunate you smell that? That smells good. It's, you smell that? What died? <laughs> Find it. It's here somewhere. Fortunately, I can't smell anything, so it doesn't, I always get the bad duties. The apostles request. <laughs> Even someone's child this week, they wanted to have that child take care of business with me because, hey, pastor can't, he can't smell. <laughs> I won't name any names. <laughs> oh, the apostle's request, it's also ambiguous, all right? So he's straightforward, but he's purposeful that he leaves it general. He doesn't get down into the weeds. The concern is this church is divided. Listen to what John Phillips says, and just listen. It's not going to come on the screen. He says, talking about this, he said, words pass between two people over something quite inconsequential. Soon the two are not on speaking terms at all. 
They look the other way when they pass each other on the street. Spouses are drawn into the squabble. Sympathizers are recruited, and the church takes sides. Personality differences, doctrinal differences, procedural differences, they're all fuel for the fire. With the whole church at loggerheads, its testimony suffers as the, uh, as the unsaved witness and sometimes referee the argument. I'm going to take you to court. I'm going to sue you, someone once said right down here after a meeting. I'm going to sue you. <laughs> the work of the church comes to a halt because nobody can agree on anything. Every issue, every suggestion for furthering the ministry of the church becomes a football of church politics. The more spiritual members of the fellowship, they make a few attempts to bring order sanity, and Christian charity back to the fore and then either retire sadly into their shells or leave in search of more congenial gatherings. Oh, it's a challenge, loved ones, to know, and, and, and there's, a, there's a balance here. If you're here and you were part of a church and you experienced some things, and you came to the point, Lord, I can't stay here anymore. It's not glorifying to you. I have done all that I can do, and I have to find a place that we can grow in grace and be ministered to. I understand that. I'm not in the first church that I started out in ministry. This is the third church. I'm thankful to be here for as long as the Lord has allowed us to be here conflict is a part of this and there are people even watching online that are struggling to find a church that is a community that rightly represents the people of god the glory of god the gospel holds to the word and they join online and there are people who give online from all over because they're being ministered to from the word and the lord is meeting a need that they can't find in their community where they they live Paul's plea was personal, but it was also spiritual. He called them to agree in the Lord. In other words, again, as Christians should. Agree in the Lord. Not just agree. Not just work it out and just, you know, call it good. Agree as pleasing to the Lord. And so Paul pleaded with them. Live up to your new name. As Christians, we are not our own. We're no longer slaves. Didn't he just talk about that in the last chapter? We're not slaves to our bellies. We no longer serve for the passing desires in, in personal comforts. We don't live for that anymore. That's what non-believers live for. Everything that is here and gone, passing. But we belong to Christ, and therefore we belong to one another. So this is what changes everything from the inside out. My relationship has been, I've been at, made peace with God. I'm at peace with God. Therefore, don't you think that that should make me a person that's able to be peaceable with other people? And if I can't be at peace with other people over decades, what is wrong vertically? When I think I just have to go to find a new church and that new church, I'll find people that are just like the people in your last church. Maybe you missed the learning opportunity God had for you. And sometimes, sadly, people go through that in marriage. And they think, if I just had a different spouse, maybe you just want more of you. 
And God gives us at times a spouse that teaches us we need more of him. I know I was in that school for a long time. I think I still am in that school for learning that lesson of the Lord teaching me. Hebrews 10, 24. Here's, here's how we as Christians ought to stir up things in the church. Let us think about this. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, think about how am I going to stir up my brothers and sisters in love tomorrow when I see them. That'll change your week. That'll change your life. That'll change the lives of other people because they'll feel that, Lord, will you show me how I can stir up one another in love and good works? Will you show me how I can encourage someone? And we can all do this. We can all do this. Oh, beware of the danger here. The church faced threats from its infancy, Acts 6, the whole squabble. Hey, you're not taking care of the Hellenistic widows. All right, let's meet the need. The church has always faced this. 2,000 years, the church faces this. The question is, how do we address it? John Phillips, he says it this way. He says, being of the same mind in the Lord does not necessarily mean that we can ha cannot have differing ideas about doctrinal matters within the framework of given fundamentals. There's the qualifier, okay? So I'm looking at people, and as members, we're not all 100% in unison on everything theologically, doctrinally. But on the fundamentals, yes, we are. But it does mean, he says, that we cannot squabble about our differences. We can disagree, but we're never to be disagreeable. So Paul addressed the problem directly. Ladies, work it out. And then verse three, we see where if we're going to resolve conflict in a way that pleases the Lord, then let's assist one another in resolving conflict biblically. Let's go back to that church meeting and everybody's staring at these two ladies. How would you want to be those two ladies? you ever want to show your face in that place again? Wouldn't the real danger be that those ladies are like, I'm out of here honey, get the kids. I'm gone. Gone. Sadly, in our culture, there's a lot of men that are like, okay, yes, ma'am. Come on, kids. Mom said we're leaving this church. We're going to another church. If mom ain't happy, you know, ain't nobody happy. Paul says, hey, everybody, this disagreement, this affects you. And you haven't been loving these ladies righteously to help them work it out. So don't sit there and be like, oh. He says, hey, what have you been doing to contribute? Oh, I'm not the one arguing. What have you said to help quell this argument? Oh, I, uh, exactly. Exactly. What have you done to promote unity? Well, I wasn't causing the unity. Yeah, what are you doing to build it? Oh, I was I didn't. If you're not building, you're tearing down. There's no floating here. So Paul says, hey, church, in the huddle, assist these ladies. Help them. Why? Because we're united in partnership. We'll see each conflict then 
as an opportunity to experience grace and exhibit the power and glory of our God. So Paul appealed to his true companion. He doesn't even name the true companion. So you can read endless commentaries on who's the true companion. He doesn't name them. We don't know. There's my theological answer right there of all my study. I don't know who that is. But they do. And somebody's like, oh, I need to help. Exactly. Step it up, man. Like, get in the game. Not even get off the, you know, get out of the bleachers. Get in the game. Help them. Help these ladies work out their disagreement. And here he uses the word apprehend. (laughs) So the letter's about to end at the end of the chapter, but this meeting isn't going to end. You're going to seize these ladies. You're going to apprehend these ladies, and you're going to work it out right now. And then take communion. You see what he's doing here. This is appropriate. The whole church is gathered. Don't just go through the motions partaking of communion and you're still looking at her and she's still looking and back and forth and all the husbands and the kids and the, you know, Hatfield and McCoys right there in the church. Paul says, no, but it's time to work this disagreement out. So Paul expected the leadership to engage. He mentions this Clement, get involved here, help. Paul expected everybody. So the application is then for you. I love you for the sake of Christ. And then here's where we have to fill in the blank. What are you willing to let go? What are you willing to stop fighting over for the love of God and the love of your brother and sister in Christ or maybe even your husband or your wife or your children? We're united in partnership. Harrison, remember in the video, he asked us, he said, when I was there the first time, and he went out to a well that they had dug, and he used it as an illustration and said, hey, here's the deal. When I was digging that well, the rope went up to the top of the well, and people were holding that rope, and I couldn't, come, I couldn't get out on my own. I was trusting that they were holding the rope. Will you please hold the rope? Here's what happens when people just move churches, move churches, move churches. What happens to those partnerships? And then those people come back from the field and like, hey, where, where, where's the, where's the, where? Oh, well, thank you for holding the rope. You see what Paul is doing here? It matters. It absolutely matters. We share in the same mission. We share in the same mission so we will not forget the value of laboring together in the gospel. Notice, do you hear Paul's compassion here? He doesn't throw them away. He's not angry at them. He actually gets right back to, I was telling you I loved you, and now he says, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow's workers. I haven't dismissed all that you have done. I haven't forgotten all that you have done. I love you. Help these into, I'm not throwing you away. You're not done. God isn't done using you. You just need to repent. And you need to work it out. And you need to refocus on the Lord instead of what your problem is with one another and put your eyes on Jesus. And this will work out. This will resolve. It could have paralyzed Paul. If you would think, how are they going to respond? And what if they think I don't love them? And what are they, oh, I don't know, I don't know. He wrote the letter inspired by the Spirit of God. Make a difference. And so for us, maybe this afternoon you need to make a phone call. Maybe you need to send a text message, although text messages don't communicate all the emotion. Maybe it's a visit. 
and you connect with someone and you say, I'm praying for you and I love you. Maybe it's an issue you need to work out and clear the air or ask for forgiveness, whatever it may be. God knew through Paul telling these individuals, I'm not done with you, but you need to get right. So Paul, he practiced what he, would, what he ended up preaching. He's writing to them, and I'm wondering if what for him didn't happen the same thing when I was in Africa and that pastor raised his hand up. Pastor, there are women who preach in our church. And I said, well, go back. Agree to teach the Bible. Patiently go through it. Love your church, and let's agree to do everything the Bible says. And then I realized, uh, we haven't moved to eldership yet. I'm telling him to do something that's going to be super hard. What am I doing? So then when I was there last year, I was like, the brother was sitting right here. I was like, you don't even know what you put me through. But it's okay. It was a good thing because it led us to obedience. And the Lord has been so gracious to. But you know what? Paul would have to do this because don't you remember there was a time in the book of Acts when John Mark quit when he was out there with Barnabas? And then he comes back and the contention was sharp because John Mark comes back when they get ready to go. And John Mark says, hey, I'll go with you guys again this time. And Paul says, no way, boy. No way. You quit last time on the front lines. I am not taking you. And Barnabas is like, Paul, I think we should take him. I mean, he's repented. He wants to go. And, you know, he's my family. And Paul says, no, he's not going. I'm not taking him. And Barnabas says, I think he should go. And they, they, they have a sharp contention, a disagreement, so that they break and they go separate directions. But then you read in the end of Paul's life, and he writes in 2 Timothy, send John Mark to me. He's useful to me. So doesn't it make you wonder if when Paul's writing this letter, how does that go in concert with, I'm telling these ladies to do, and yet have I extended that grace and forgiveness to the guy who quit on me? Send John Mark to me. Matthew, Mark. There's a gospel that bears his name that we can say, the Lord used through Paul practicing what he preached to say you're useful. Yeah, you shouldn't have done what you did, but you've repented and you're back and I welcome you. Who, who is that in your life that you need to do that with? Think about that. Do you wave that? We're members of the same family. We're members of the same family. He's right back to we're brothers, we're sisters. We have a father in heaven. We've been given new names. This is our true identity. We have eternal security. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your savior? These elements here in these trays, they are, they are not saving. They will not save you. They represent the savior. His body broken, his blood shed. Someone once said, living above with saints we love will certainly be glory. But living below with saints we know, now that's another story. Yeah, right? Well, you don't know. My, yeah. Well, in heaven, oh, let's work that out now. In Luke 10, verse 20, Jesus taught his disciples about this. He said, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice about that. That's what Paul is saying. Hey, their names are in the book of life. And the apostle John, at the end of scripture, he sees there's a book open that Paul is writing about, that Jesus told us about, that we see through scripture, Revelation 20, verse 11. 
oh, just let these words, the word of God sink in. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and there was no place found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And Yodia and Syntyche, aren't your names in the book of life? And you're mad at each other over what? And what about all the people whose name is not written there and you, are, you have forgotten about them completely? You don't care about them. It's time to right-size our salvation, get our priorities right. Listen then, two chapters later, Echoed, we just read it if you're reading through the yearly reading, John 7, we heard Jesus say it today in John 7 in our reading. Revelation twenty two seventeen. the spirit and the bride say come and let the one who hears say come and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Come, that's the invitation. Come, come to Christ. Oh, as we look at this this morning, and even before we prepare for communion, look at the summary that comes on the screen. This is how we resolve conflict. As a church, may the Lord help us affirm our love for one another clearly. Say it. Demonstrate it. Affirm one another, our love for one another. Adhere to one another through the thick and the thin, the good and the bad, the, the blessings and burdens that we will stick together, address the problem between one another directly and assist one another in resolving conflict biblically. May the Lord help us as his people to do that today, tomorrow, and in, as long as we live and until Christ returns. Do you know this Jesus? Is your name written down in the book of life? Maybe today is the day. And what is your next step? What is my next step to promote unity here in this body, the body of Christ? Father, I thank you that you have made a way for us to be reconciled. To be reconciled to you and to be reconciled to one another even in the greatest difficulties. Teach us how to love you more. Teach us how to love one another. Father, I pray that you would heal the hurts that even people in our congregation have experienced by those who claim the name of Christ have been unloving. Reveal those areas in my life, in our lives, where we have been unkind and unloving to others. And may we, for your glory and the good of those around us, make things right, work things out to see conflict resolved for your glory.
For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.